0: Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan.
1: The lesson for today is Psalm 66, verses 1 through 4 and 16 to 20. Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Sing praises to the glory of God's name. Make glorious his praise. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Because of your great strength, your enemies cringe before you. All the earth worships you, sings praises to you, sings praises in your name. Come close and listen, All you who honor God, I will tell you what God has done for me. My mouth cried out to Him with praise on my tongue. If I had cherished evil in my heart, my Lord would not have listened. But God definitely listened. He heard the sound of my prayer. Bless God, He didn't reject my prayer. He didn't withhold his faithful love from me. This is the word of the Lord. Be to
2: God. Former Duke Chaplain Will Willimon wrote that somewhere between the land of the Bible and the world of the New York Times is where we preachers make our home. And so today I hope that you'll come and visit me there. Our second scripture reading is from Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, the sixth chapter. My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Willemann was channeling famed theologian Karl Barth, who suggested that we do well to read the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. In one hand, we read today's small selection from Paul that is before us the call to bear one another's burdens, a seemingly simple act, yet one so fundamental to being a follower of Jesus. We are to come alongside those in need with genuine support, deepening our compassion, but also shedding our protections so that we allow others to do the same for us in our trials. In the other hand, for most of us today is the digital news on our iPads, stories that put before us the call to bear arms. A range of articles on issues related to that right editorials and letters lamenting the pervasive violence in our culture, discussions about how the powerful NRA works to protect that right without limits, infringing upon it. Can these two hands then talk to one another? It's been about three weeks since we were marked with ashes at the beginning of Lent, initiating our 40-day journey with Jesus to his death. This year, our church has been focused on the role of the cross in our lives. The cross is a guiding symbol, the vertical plank guiding our eyes up to trust that with God's help, the end of life here brings hope in the life to come, the horizontal part reminding us to bear one another's burdens in this life through mutual support and vulnerability. In Lent, at the cross's center, we find the Lord that we love taking on sin and death to gain for us all new life. And in this symbol, we profess, in God we trust. Despite our overwhelming fears about living and dying, the promise of the empty cross tells us to fear not and gives us faith and hope. It's been just about two weeks since the traumatic slaughter of 17 high school students in Florida by a mentally deranged gunman, and the response of youth across this nation who have mobilized their presence, their voices, their anger to demand change. Our culture thus has been talking about the role of the gun in our lives, from arming of hobby or hunting or target practice to meeting our dominating demands for self-defense— The gun is a symbol for many Americans of self-identity and self-defense, an object which defines for many what it means to possess freedom and in many ways a desire for invincibility. In the last weeks, this new tragedy means a renewed emphasis on questions about gun violence, forcing our Lenten experience to include a hard search for answers, Possible steps towards some kind of remedy, facing our fears of what happens if we fail to increase controls or protections, and our fears of what may not change even if we do. This Lent, the two calls to bear one another's burdens and to bear arms are in our hands the cross and the gun. One points upward to God's invincibility, the unstoppable power of grace. The other points away from us to our vulnerability and our fear of harm and death. The Bible's guidance and our cultural and personal dilemmas are always connected. People of faith must ask, what does it mean for us to care for one another in the light of these freedoms? What are we to do? Many Christians have demanded their churches take a stand. The organization Sojourners announced yesterday a campaign, hashtag Thoughts Prayers Action, that asked churches being rooted in the biblical message of justice, peace, and healing, to offer safe spaces for grief and conversation, to host forums on the complicated issue of gun violence, to facilitate conversations with our youth, and to commit to preaching, praying and acting against the plague of gun violence. Going several steps farther, they want congregations across the country to join a church boycott of the NRA, to break off relationships with banks that extend lines of credit to assault weapons manufacturers, to divest from funds and assets in church portfolios that uh, relate to gun makers, and to spend our church dollars on companies that have taken a strong stand. The people of sojourners are faithful people who believe that bearing the burdens of our nation, broken and suffering, is to take on this issue, and they believe that Jesus calls us to do so. What do you believe? What do I believe? On the topic of gun violence alone, people who follow Jesus should be united in outrage. On the topic of gun control People who follow Jesus will differ. Friends, I do struggle. I cannot make sense of the arguments made by 59% of white evangelicals in this country who oppose placing any tighter restrictions or any limits whatsoever on the right to bear arms, including those in my own family. I neither own a gun, nor have I ever been to a gun range. I understand but do not cherish my right to do so, And I do not believe that guns belong in any church. However, I come from a gun-owning culture and the background of the Deep South. Almost every adult in my family of origin has and uses a permit to carry a concealed weapon. They are in that certain subset of Christians opposed to any gun legislation, background checks, waiting periods, age requirements, limitations on military-style weapons— For some of my siblings and cousins and many others in this country, as one commentator put it, guns have an almost godly status, and the Second Amendment a scripture for a certain subset of people on the religious right. The defense of guns among some people of faith comes with religious fervor, owning a weapon as identity-defining as owning a Bible. I cannot reconcile that But I want to understand that. Many Christians stand firm on an unfettered right and access to all weapons, no waiting periods, age limits, or background checks, for the purposes of self-defense and in the name of freedom and individualism. They also, they will declare, follow a Lord who set aside his own freedom— allowing himself to be crucified rather than fight the injustice of the death sentence imposed upon him. How does that happen? I believe that a stalwart commitment to unlimited access for people to have weapons of war in their home is irreconcilable with the belief in a gospel that preaches nonviolence. And I admit, as a pastor, as a sister... My opinions and views have been shaped largely by my lifelong encounter with Scripture, the stories of Jesus, thousands of sermons heard from all kinds of pulpits, and my Protestant theology, and a life free thus far from encounters with violence or violent people. What has shaped their views which challenge me? What has shaped your views One of our most fundamental rights as Presbyterians is our ability to decide for ourselves on any cultural or political, spiritual or biblical issue using our freedom of conscience. A shared faith unites us in our diversity, demands our mutual respect for one another in our differences. Our personal beliefs about gun control and bearing arms are differences we need not just acknowledge They are differences that we need to learn from and understand. Now, pondering these hard issues and wanting to discuss them with you, I felt fearful, hesitant, but not of politics. Jesus was always engaged in political issues, and he calls us to deep and important conversations today. It was fear of being seen as partisan, which never has a place in this or any other pulpit. For me the Second Amendment and the role of the gun in our society is not a partisan issue. It is a deeply theological, spiritual, and scriptural one. Bart was right. We live an ancient faith in changing times, outdated doctrines in an updated context. Christians do not check our brains at the sanctuary doors. We live the faith the best way we can in a complicated world, talking together about diverse and divisive issues as brothers and sisters in Christ in whom there are no divisions. Now, as a person of faith, I begin with Jesus and what shaped his views and what he would have said on this issue, and maybe you do too. So, I read a lot this week. Evangelist Shane Claiborne wrote a powerful article that spoke to me in 2012. It's called, What Jesus Would Say to the NRA. It helped give me some guidance. Surely, he says, quote, surely we think if God were to come to earth, he should at least come with a bodyguard, if not an entire entourage of armed soldiers and secret service folks. But Jesus comes unarmed. Surely we think if God were about to be killed, he would bust out a can of butt-kicking wrath, But Jesus looks into the eyes of those about to murder him and says, Father, forgive them. When soldiers come to arrest Jesus, one of his closest friends defensively picks up a sword to protect him, and Jesus' response stuns. He scolds his own disciple and heals the wounded persecutor, giving a tough and very counterintuitive lesson. There is another way. Violence will not rid the world of violence. Swords do not get rid of swords, and guns do not get rid of guns. Jesus wept, he writes, over our violent world, carrying a cross rather than a sword, a fact relevant and redemptive to our violence-possessed world. The Bible has a lot to say about loving enemies, and thou shalt not kill. It nowhere mentions the right to bear arms, unquote. Claiborne gave me some helpful insight. Jesus embraced his vulnerability, he prayed through his fear, and he pursued peace through nonviolence. But of course, I read more of the Bible, and among the passages, today's scripture, the one being held alongside the New York Times, that we bear one another's burdens. I bear the burdens of those young people who've been on the receiving end of an AR-15, and I bear the burdens of those parents, of those children killed at Sandy Hook. I feel deeply their pain. Do I bear the burdens of my fellow Christians with whom I disagree? including any in the pew today who may equate my disagreement with judgment? Do I bear the burdens of the NRA activists and gunright lobbyists? What does it mean to bear the burdens of these brothers and sisters? Do I bear the burdens of Wayne LaPierre, and does he bear mine? Paul tells us to try, to try to understand and help carry their heavy loads, which means asking How did they come to their beliefs? What burdens have they already carried? And what burdens do they carry now because of them? Let me learn of their complex lives and extend compassion and understanding. Am I able to do that? This great admonition of Paul is actually not simple. The call to bear one another's burdens deserves as much thought as the call to bear arms. What can it teach us? how does it inform us related to the issue of gun violence or any other issue facing us today how does it guide how we help one another when communities and families are racked with multiple layers of pain and problems not just the one before us today to bear one another's burdens anyone's yours Mine, your nephew in prison, your niece on drugs, your co-worker with cancer, your schizophrenic son, your gun-toting neighbor, is to freely give your help. Every one of them has burdens this day. It is to come to them without fear. We are called to be vulnerable in order to help them. It is to come without judgment and not blaming them for their troubles. It is to come without resentment not frustrated that their difficulties put us out. It is to come without enabling, not contributing or sustaining the burden, but carrying it, the presence of the burden doing what we can to lift it. We are not called to condemn their life situations, nor harbor guilt that we can't do more to save them. We are called to generously share God's grace with them. Beyond knowing the burden, our call is to understand and love the fellow human being who carries it. We are called to be at the ready to lift any burdens, not just the people that we agree with or like, but anyone in need. And something more, this tense in this verse is imperative. Bearing one another's burdens is ongoing. We keep carrying one another's burdens over the course of time and change. We don't master it with or for them, but we enter the mystery that is their human life and their personal story. And we, in vulnerability, let them enter our own mystery and bear our own burdens too, revealing our own need, our own need for help and support. It is mutual. Paul calls us to tireless, selfless, unending giving to anyone in need, struggling and striving to retain our compassion Embrace our mutual vulnerability, shedding individualism that all might be connected in life-giving community because Christ is at the center. To do that as well as we can, to try, to try, to try. Simone Weil wrote, The love of our neighbor in all its fullness simply means being able to say, What are you going through and then in listening to respond to fulfill the law of Christ, we can hold our values and principles and also bear the burdens of those who are different. I will never agree with the NRA, but I am called to love people who do. God, not guns, nor anything else must ground my theology and yours. Burdens and not arms must define us. Trust, not fear, must guide us. For everyone born, a place at the table is an anthem that Tom picked for today, and I'm so glad he did. Adam Copeland called it an aspirational hymn, a hymn that we aspire to become true as we sing it. And when it was written, the fourth verse there that you'll see in your bulletin was very controversial. For just and unjust, a place at the table, abuser, abused with need to forgive, in anger and hurt, a mindset of mercy for just and unjust, a new way to live. What a radical idea. This is a table of reconciliation that is quite controversial, where those who have hurt and those who hurt are sitting together It is beyond being together in our differences. It is forgiving one another that we hurt one another because of our differences. Here, grace and mercy guide a new way of life. Remember that at this table, our Lord welcomed his friends, and then he washed their feet. Here, Christ taught us. He showed us how to bear one another's burdens, to be vulnerable with those around us. And so this is where we make our home, this table. And every time we come, we open our hands and we lay down our burdens that we can clasp hands together in unity and in prayer. I invite you, if you are so willing, to join hands with the person next to you and pray with me. In this tender time of talking together, Lord, help us to listen first to you. Give us a mindset of mercy that no matter what challenges we face, we may always love one another in the way that you have taught us. Help us to live together, to work together, to pray together for the world that you intend for us. When the world means to make us fearful, when anything here calls us to be afraid, call us not to arms but to trust in you and in your everlasting arms. In your holy name we pray. Amen.
0: You are holy, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. He took upon himself the weight of our sin and carried and bared the burden of our guilt. In his dying and rising, you gave birth to to your church. You delivered us from sin and death and made a new covenant with us. By water and the Spirit. Remembering all your mighty and merciful acts, we celebrate with joy the redemption won for us in Jesus Christ. Accept our praise and thanksgiving as a living and holy offering of ourselves, that our lives may proclaim the one crucified and risen. Gracious God, pour out your Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. By your Spirit, unite us with the living Christ and with all of your church, that we may be one in ministry in every place. As this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out to be the body of Christ in the world, to care for woman and man, young and old, those who we agree with and those whom we don't, for just and unjust alike to provide your comfort, healing, and reconciliation in a world that is divided. Help us, O God, to be obedient to your call, to love all of your children, to do justice, to show mercy, and to live in peace with your creation. Give us strength to serve faithfully until the promised day of resurrection, when the redeemed of all the ages will feast with you at your table in glory. We pray all these things spoken and all the things we hold in our heart through Christ. He taught us to pray together saying, Our Father, Father who art, who art in, heaven, in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
2: Amen.
0: Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another Sermon from First Press.